Season 7, Episode 5. I'm your main host, Dan. In this episode, we are going to be talking about... See, we are in November, night 79. We're going to be talking about Burlesque and Joni Busts Out, both directed by Jerry Paris. Yes, there is a plane flying overhead. Why do you ask? See, it's kind of an overcast day here in, um, in the San Fernando Valley. It's kind of nice chill blowing through. So I got some windows open, taking advantage of the fresh air and the loud noises. My apologies. Burlesque, Joni Busts Out, both directed by Jerry Paris, Burlesque. Written by Dave Ketchum, Tony DeMarco, November 6th, 1979. Joni Busts Out, written by Beverly Bloomberg, November 13th, 1979. And Howard in Burlesque is putting on a burlesque show for the Leopard Lodge fundraiser. He wants to be Grand Poobah. And they're doing a burlesque show and they're flying in. Uh, Irv Hansen, played by a gentleman named Irving Benson, who was an old vaudevillian. And he shows up, oddly enough, he shows up with... um, a uh, 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 burlesque dancer named uh, Lola, played by Cassandra Peterson, Elvira. Hey, and she does. She has probably the best moment in it when Al is uh, uh, doing his little banjo piece, and she's doing a sort of a rather, you know, 1979 network television strip tease in the background. That's that is probably the best part of the burlesque show. Um, but uh, any, anyways, yeah, the, the the premise is that Irv shows up and Lola shows up. But none of the rest of the troops showed up. They're all snowed in in Buffalo. And so the gang have to, with Irv's help, put on the burlesque show themselves as the burlesque show is going on. It's not one of those things where, like, the morning of. It's like like 10 minutes into the burlesque show, they suddenly discover that none of the burlesque people are there. I don't know why it was such a surprise that every time they went backstage, it was only Irv and Lola. There wasn't a, a troop of people there. Although I, I do wonder what sort of troop of people, <laughs> when you actually see the stuff they do. I mean, yeah, you got to have the beautiful women, of course. And they're, they're, and one of the other best jokes in the episode is, where are we going to find some, where are we going to find um, someone who can get us a bunch of beautiful women on, on, on almost no notice? And then the Fonz walks in with like a creamsicle because they're selling creamsicles out in the lobby. And he's like, hey, everybody. <laughs> hey! So that was a great moment. But the actual burlesque show itself seems to be more just the bad burlesque jokes than it is the ladies. Um, well, let me let me play you a little bit of music very briefly, and then I'll be back and talk some more about burlesque. Here you go. I'll start right off with the fact that I didn't find the Irv to be particularly funny. He's clearly meant to be very funny. He's an old vaudevillian. He's been making people laugh vaudeville style and I guess burlesque show style. He was in something called Scanty Panties, which I, I love. Um, but he's he's not particularly funny. He's one of those old vaudeville guys who's got to, you know, he's been saying the same shtick for decades and... Um, it's not, I don't find it too funny, but the audience finds it hysterical. Everyone on the show finds it hysterical. So it's one of those things where, like, in the end, you're almost convinced. He does have a couple of good lines in there. I won't say he, he has any bad lines. But even, like, like when he comes out and he starts fixing the stage when Howard is introducing the show, even that has a bit of a, um, 
I've done this 5,000 times before, and here, let's do it again. There's no, there's no sort of verve to any of it. Um, as I said, the best, the best, overall, the best part of the show is Cassandra Peterson dancing with Al in front, singing and playing a little ukulele, because um, he doesn't know she's there, and everyone's cheering, but he doesn't realize they're cheering for her, not him. Um, that's great. And I mean, Joni looks great, too. They've got her, you know, in a little outfit, all legged up. She's got great legs. And uh, she moves, she dances around in one bit, and then Chachi gives her a kiss during one <laughs> oh, racy little joke. It's burlesque, folks. You know, I haven't, I haven't been to a lot of burlesque shows. I, 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 I went to a couple burlesque shows a long time ago here in L.A. And it's funny because when you see when you see this show, it really on here, it really has the feeling of it's a bunch of old guys. Um, hiring a bunch of young ladies to jump around scantily clad or or even less than that while they do their bad jokes. Um, whereas the burlesque shows I saw basically look like uh, attractive women in charge um, taking control of the bad jokes and everything and making it and giving it enough of a twist to make it funny and engaging but still sexy. Uh, whereas this burlesque show is a lot of bad jokes and... Um, the occasional moment of sexy in there. Um, uh, actually, actually, oh no, I take that back. There is one bit that I remember the moment I saw it here. I hadn't watched this episode for a few years. The moment I saw it, I remember this one bit because I'm I'm fairly certain this was probably in something else. But I want to say because I, I you know I would have watched this episode when I was young or uh, or in refunds uh, re- refunds. Sorry about that, everyone. Or in reruns. <laughs> no one asked for a refund. When Howard put on the burlesque show, he becomes Grand Pooh Bonnie. Wears the golden fez in the end, which is pretty amusing. Fezes are cool. I wear fezes now. Fezes are cool. Um, uh, but I don't even remember what I was saying. Something about the Fonz, right? Or um, oh, oh, so so yeah, there is a bit in here that I remember very, very clearly, and I still think it's very funny. Uh, and that's the um, the Harmony Boys with Ralph Malf singing, "It's delightful. It's it's delectable. It's the do do." And the Fonz is harmonizing with him. And whenever I point at you, you sing. You know, so... Uh, da, 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 da. It's delightful. It's delicious. It's delectable. Da, 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 da. It's... Da, da, da. Um, I, I just... I, that bit makes me laugh. I think that's very, very funny. Very funny bit. Because a lot of the gags... I mean, a lot of the burlesque gags are a thousand years old. It reminds me... It actually reminds me sort of... Uh, I, I guess... How did vaudeville? How did where was burlesque basically vaudeville, but for adults? Was that was that was that how it came? I never actually looked to see where burlesque came from. I know it. Um, I think Kino Lorber just announced they're putting out the was a Picarama and Varieties or whatever it is. The two um, uh, burlesque films with Betty Page in them on Blu-ray. Those are fun. I recommend those highly. Anything with Betty Page in it is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, is is was it like? You know, when vaudeville went blue, is that is that when it became burlesque? That's what it seems to be to me. It seems a lot of old guys telling bad old jokes while beautiful women dance. I mean, it's... I mean, isn't that what Benny Hill did for, for decades? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. But but it's funny because when I watch it and I see them doing the same... I mean, Benny Hill used to do that too. You know, for every sort of two or three new jokes Benny had, he'd have one that... if you, I've been re-watching his, his shows lately. I started with the, the Thames shows in 68 and I'm going through to, what, 88 or whatever... And right now I'm in 75. And um, yeah, for every sort of new joke and new moment and, and good laugh, there's a there's a joke you're like, oh, you did that two years ago, Benny. Oh, you're, you're doing this again. Or um, 
like I think um, he did like a Samuel Pepys song in like 72 and then I think he does more or less the exact same song in like 88 now you know the chances of someone probably remembering that are slim but uh, and yes we we are not at the Hills Angels um, era of the show yet which is my favorite thank you very much um, but uh, and that's super burlesque right I mean and that was and that began around the time this aired right the, the Hills Angels became part of Benny's show in like 77 78 something like that they were scantily clad till pretty much the mid 80s when everyone yelled at Benny and suddenly the, the very last I don't know how I went off this, on this tangent the very last Thames special Benny Hill Thames special in like 88 89 they're, the musical number, instead of being like something like sexy, where they're all in bikinis or working out or lingerie or something like that, um, they're all dressed like they sing. Ha- they sing Happy Days. They sing the Happy Days theme. The Hills Angels with a bunch of guys, and they're all dressed like you know Bobby Socks and you know from from the first or second season. They're all dressed like people from the first or second season of Happy Days. It's so weird because if you hop ten years back, they're all like half naked in a disco, gyrating on one another. You hop ten years forward, they're doing Happy Days as the most innocuous thing you've ever seen, and it's like. It's, it's so it's it's weird it's weird I'm not like I said I'm not there yet but anyways burlesque I mean burlesque right is vaudeville just naughtier okay I, I guess I mean I'm sure there was that's the thing with vaudeville right I mean you can't really you you, you can you can encounter bits from it I mean what Abbott and Costello you you know you watch enough Abbott and Costello you see almost every major like vaudeville bit right it always surprised me with Abbott and Costello that like they that they didn't really like learning new stuff when they hit like movies and things like that they preferred to have as many like old bits that they used to do shoehorned into movies as much as possible i'm a big adam costello fan i think the the tv show is fun and quite a few of their movies are great the radio show i i i've been torturing myself with that for the past few weeks it's not good a lot of bad jokes a lot of really strained wordplay and just ooh, it's and 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 Lou goes there are points when Lou's voice goes hey yeah, I mean his he, he I mean his voice he always put his voice a little little higher but there's some episodes in this where oh my god it's it's oh and again if they had had a bunch of naked half naked ladies running around they would have been doing vo- uh, burlesque right anyway back to the episode I'm sorry I went. I should have looked up. I, I never really knew where burlesque came from. But but yeah, burlesque here really does have the feeling of it's a bunch of old guys with old jokes um, who found that they can continue to tell their old jokes and make a good living as long as they have beautiful women half-naked dancing around them. That's burlesque. And Happy Days doing it seems a little strange. You'd think they'd just do like a vaudeville show. Let's do a vaudeville show because that's what most of it is. Um, you know, um, like, you know, I guess, um, Potsy sings a song that isn't very good as gals of the world dance around him. And that's nice to watch. Rhonda Shear is in there, apparently. Um, and, uh, but, but the rest are just, just little blackout gags and little bits and that the it's thing I like the, the striptease, um, with Cassandra Peterson there, uh, um, and Al, I like that. They all sing, if you want to be a top banana. And the thing is, at the end of the day, you can't really get mad at the episode because everyone's having so much fun. It's clear that they're having a great time. I mean, this was that time period, right? Like at the end of the 70s, early 80s, so many shows. I'm thinking right now, there was, I think, in the fifth season of Eight is Enough, a couple years after this, they did like a telethon where they all came out and did their, they, like, they did their party piece kind of thing. 
You know, and so I have no problem with an episode like this. It's a nice little break from the show. Is it funny? <coughs> well, there are moments of, of funny in it. But at its at its heart, though, burlesque done this way isn't funny. That's the point. It's I mean, it's bad jokes with hot women lounging around and, and being nearby. You know, just kind of kind of making it worth you know, you're gonna I will sit through the bad jokes to see Cassandra Peterson dance or Joni run around in a little outfit. I'll 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 sit through the bad jokes. Of course, yeah, like I said, modern day burlesque, you gotta do better than that. Um but back then when it was the old guys in charge, there you go. Uh, so it's it's not a bad episode. I, it's it's funny. It's not a bad episode. I don't know that it's a good episode. It's simply an episode. It's got some charms. Some of it is not not like all. I I didn't like all the burlesque, but some of it I liked. Some of it I didn't. I lost a little interest here and there. The old Irv guy just wasn't funny. Uh, and and I, it's 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 a hit and miss episode. I mean, I would give it if I had to give it a grade A through F. It would be a C plus. I would say it's a definite, definite C plus. Um, uh, with with C being average, C plus being slightly above average because it does have some genuine uh, funny moments in it. So um, and and Mr. C does become the grand poobah in the end. So uh, let's go on to the next episode. Johnny busts out. This one does have Rhonda Sheer in it, and yeah, this is Chachi becomes the photographer's assistant. And he discovers that the photographer does some nude stuff, and Joni has shown up, and she um, might be getting nude. I'm looking forward to more Beverly Bloomberg episodes. She wrote this one, which is very funny, and she wrote the Christmas one last season, which is also very funny. The storytelling this is pretty slapdash because um, ev- everything happens and then is resolved almost immediately, and then we go on to something else. Because if you watch it, it's Chachi out of nowhere has got this job that apparently he's been at for some time, and uh, it's this photographer played by the great G.W. Bailey and he takes some nudes and Fonzie sees it and gets Chachi out of there and, and Joni wants to go to Chicago with her friend uh, Sally or as I call her Bondi who we meet briefly in the scene we'll talk about her in a moment um, and uh, so she, she decides she wants to go get some photos taken Chachi sees her there thinks she's going to pose nude and gets Richie and the Fonz to go out there Joni decides I don't want to pose nude and leaves Fonzie and Richie arrive thinks Joni's behind the divider thing and see another woman nude who's very casual about it and, and then they, they head back home and um, and uh, Richie talks to, to Joni and everything's okay and the Fonz actually has a great moment where he says He's so distraught that Joni might have done some, might have posed nude, that um, uh, he's not, he might not go out tonight. Whoa, that's crazy. There, there is there is one weird moment. I'm not a hundred percent sure um, where Joni is taking her clothes off. Well, they think Joni is taking her clothes off, and there are quite a few clothes hanging over the top of the divider. And Joni and, and Richie is like, "Okay, I'll go talk to her. I'll go talk to her." And he takes a deep breath and he steps back and looks behind the divider and says, now Joni, I, oh, excuse me. Oh, that's not Joni. 
That, and it's funny because, oh my gosh, she's seeing this nude woman and it's not Joni. And I thought, would you really have done that? Like, I, I hesitate to bring my sisters up, but if I was in the same situation, I would have knocked on the divider and said, hey, what of you two behind there? If there is, this is your brother, Dan. You don't need to come out. I, it just it just seems strange that his way to deal with it is to, you know, confront her when she's nude. That just seems weird i know she's like like it was it's funny to hear hear fun to say because it's it, this is an interesting point because at the end of the season richie leaves and ralph leaves now ralph isn't as big a thing as richie is and Joni and chachi will gradually become take over the show to the point where they get their own show and then they return to this show so Joni is at like a big stage right now she's 17 she's almost 18 she's she's having arguments about wanting to go to chicago with sally to see fabian and her parents won't let her of course and da, 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 this back and forth and all this stuff and so she she's on the verge of taking over the show. And, and Chachi obviously is going to be a big part of the show too. He doesn't he does a bunch in this episode, but it really it's it's a, it's kind of a weird episode where you think from just reading the the, the plot breakdown that it's going to be about Chachi and Joni. And it's somewhat, but not really. Richie and the Fonz do just as much. The episode is all over the place, getting everyone luckily some very funny stuff to do. You know, uh, you're not nervous about uh, posing naked. No, I was born naked is a great line and i think richie has a couple of good ones in there too and it's i'm sorry another plane flying overhead i don't know what the hell's going on they're doing an air show above my house today but this is this is a weird episode like i said because it it sounds like it's going to be lurid and this was a time period where you would have episodes in shows uh, like dana plato and kimberly in in different strokes i think she has like there's an episode actually there are a couple unpleasant sort of episodes but but it's sort, sort of the thing, you know and and there was that there was that there was that TV movie with um, oh gosh, I don't even remember the name of it. The one I'm not I'm not going to say the what what the what the context of it was. It was Dana, I forget, but it's where she played like a twelve or thirteen year old who gets involved in some unpleasant stuff. And then there were other shows that would do this thing too. I remember there was there was a uh, in the uh, like eighty three eighty four there was a show called The Yellow Rose, which was a soap opera. Uh, Dallas style with with Sam Elliott and Sybil Shepherd that has an episode similar to this where uh, like a, 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 a the little girl in the cast like the daughter gets almost gets involved in some and it's just like it's sort of the, it's it's these weird sort of loss of innocent type episodes that have the I'm sure Facts of Life probably did this with one of the characters too or it takes a character who's not quite legal age i mean like like i you know sort of said we that never is an issue here no one seems to care that Joni is 17 and wants to pose nude it's not the thing with gw bailey as the photographer is it's never it's never presented as this is a sleazy this this isn't like um what is it the sinister urge the the film written by um uh uh, uh ed wood or this isn't one of those what what is that one film is it um violated which isn't as bad as it sounds with like a photographer who kind of does slightly sleazy stuff it's it's not that he's got a nice he's got a nice studio it's a nice place there are a lot of women there he's got portfolios he does really good stuff clearly he doesn't do all nudes because there's this little um booklet thing that that sally and Joni are looking through you know and they're, they're not instantly looking at it and go oh puss you know or something like that they're just they're 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 seeing beautiful models and such and there's a lot of there's a lot of great like when Joni walks in and talks to the models oh you're tall and beautiful and just the way she talks it's really it's really funny and 
And, and like I said, that, that that is this sort of thing. The the episode, if you just read the, the tagline um, that you see, it sounds like it's going to be sort of one of those maybe loss of innocence, you know, where like he has to save her at the last minute because she's confused and she's going to be appearing nude and Joni loses her innocence. Um, but that's not how it happens at all. Pose nude. Okay, no, I don't think so. And she leaves and that's it. Um and so, so it's 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 a very sitcommy style of that. I'm trying to think, like back in the '50s, early '60s, there must have been like a kitten, Eleanor Donahue on Father Knows Best, must have had an episode like this. Um, you know, just these, um, and not not quite like this, but probably something sort of similar in a way. And um, but but there is sort of this this yeah this this concept around this time, and I'm fairly positive Eight is Enough probably did this with one of the one of the gals sort of just the um about to get involved in something that may be again loss of innocence the loss of innocence Joni is um is as uh, you know the font still sees her as a little girl in the chipmunk outfit you know sitting with him uh, and the view master on christmas morning you know just all hanging out in their pj stuff like that that's the way he still sees Joni. although he was just in a burlesque show where she was one of the dancers so maybe She's growing up faster than um than they think, but yeah, overall everyone's very good in this episode. The episode's very funny. Ralph has a great bit at the end where he's he's he he gets hired on as the assistant photographer, but then he gets fired because he's found kissing the negatives, and um uh, and I like the scene with Joni and her friend Sally. Um, maybe maybe it isn't the best written scene, but there are some laughs in it. And Sally's played by Tammy Taylor, Tamara Taylor, who around this time, 1979, was in the wonderfully sleazy, and why is it out on Blu-ray yet? L. D. Folds film, Don't Go Near the Park, A.K.A. Um, Night Stalker, A.K.A. Other things, but don't go near, don't go near the park is where you find, she, she's she's the lead in it. She plays a character named Bondi, who goes sort of on the run from her dad when her dad uh, wants to sacrifice her for a cult. Um, well, no, not a. It's actually pretty complicated. And he goes on the run, and she ends up she ends up um, in this place where she hangs out with Aldo Ray and Amino um, Paluch. Uh, from Voyagers and you know Amityville Horror and you know um, Punky Brewster's brother, you know you know him, um, and, and and so it's 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 an interesting film. It's it's very it, it was one. I don't think it was a video nasty, but I think it was video nasty adjacent. Uh, there's uh, a lot of a bunch of nudity and a bu- Linnea Quigley's in it, so that that might help. There's a bunch of nudity. It's structured really weird. In that it like it like starts off like two thousand two hundred thousand years ago, and then it's suddenly like sixteen years ago, and then five years ago, and then it doesn't get to present day to like a half an hour in, and it's only like an eighty-two minute movie. Um, actually, I could be wrong, could be, but but something like that. And um, but Tammy Taylor, she's very good. I met her and the director at a screening they did with that. They did show that in House at the Edge of the Park, which is an interesting. Uh, interesting double feature um and they were very she was very nice and um and when i i had i had the very first review proper review i wrote for bleeding skull was don't go near the park i was um one of the very few times i ever was sent something by a company dark sky films sent uh uh joe bleeding skull joe a copy of don't go near the park on on dvd Still no blue, um, and 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 Joe was like, "Hey Dan, do you want to review this? I'm not sure on this one." And I said, "Oh my God, I love that movie. Send it right over." And I reviewed it, and I remember saying to both of them, "I had the DVD, and I asked them to sign it." 
And I said, I love this film. I've said, I'm so glad I've seen it on the big screen. I've seen it like six times. And both of them looked at me and in unison said, why? It's a very special kind of film. So I recommend it. It's great to see her. She only gets to the one scene, but she's really, she's adorable. Joni's adorable. They're great. They're, I mean, they don't, they don't feel like 50s girls at all. I mean, they feel very much like gals of the late 70s into the 80s kind of thing. Yeah, there's, there's no real, and, and, and feel, feel that this is 1961, even though they're going to see Fabian. And I, I looked at Fabian because I know Fabian more. I knew Fabian was one of the big, right out of the blocks Elvis ripoff guys. And I also know that I, I've read that they like, um, they didn't auto tune his voice, but they did some corrections to his singing because, you know, Elvis is a fantastic singer. Fabian, I guess, was not. I, I, I realize I haven't heard any Fabian songs. Hound Dog Man, I think, is, is the closest thing. I think I may have heard Hound Dog Man. Um, but I actually know Fabian more from being in um, uh, movies. Uh, and I can't remember any of them right now. But Hound Dog Man was one. Five Weeks in a Balloon or something or other in a balloon. He was in Longest Day. He was in a Fireball 500 with Frankie and Annette. That was basically a beach party movie, but on a racetrack. He was in the underrated, and I'm surprised it's not out, like Dogan in the Park on a Blu-ray, a Kiss Daddy Goodbye. He was in a lot of stuff. Fabian Forte, and he showed up throughout the... Throughout the this, his, his, his music career kind of began in 58, and by time they're going to see him, which would be... This is sometime in 61 still, presumably. Uh, his career is... Um, his music career is pretty much ending. It'll go on for a little bit more, but um, circa 62, 63 is when he signs the film contract and he's just doing movies for it. Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Uh, I think he was in that one. One of, the, one of those Dr. Goldfoot movies he was in, but he was in a ton of stuff. Yeah, he had maybe 10 or 11 big hits right at the end of the 50s, start of the 60s. Basically, he was one of those, Elvis isn't here. Musicians, so there. the The end of the '60s are distinguished by quite a few people who look and sound like Elvis during those two that two year period when Elvis was in the army, and then when Elvis came back in 1960, he released the album Elvis Is Back, which is an excellent album. And but then immediately started doing all the movies. So um, it's kind of funny, yeah, that they wouldn't. They obviously wouldn't be going to see Elvis at this time as the '61 because uh, from from when he gets back from the army. He, I think he did a few shows early on, but pretty much by 61, he's knee-deep in the movies, and he doesn't do, like, performance again until the Singer Special in 66 or so. Yeah. So they're going to see Fabian. I like that they're going to see Fabian, because that's... that's that's That does have... That is a nice connection to the moment, so that would make it 1961. Although... Uh, there, there is that moment. Like I said, they don't act like gals from 1961, or at least... Now, I say that as someone who wasn't alive in 1961, but I also say this as someone who has watched a lot of shows from 1961, and they don't act, really act kind of like gals from, from that I remember from that, from that time period. That's okay, though. They're, they're charming, and it's fun, and, and it's, it's funny, and, and um, yeah, overall, it's, it's a, um, I still don't quite understand the espresso machine that our Al has. Uh, that that I'll put in, in into Arnold's there. I do, although he's not in this episode, which is weird. In fact, he's so not in this episode that the Fonz makes himself a sandwich. You see him come out of the kitchen with a sandwich, and he kind of has a taste of it and goes, "Hmm, that's another thing I do great." It's, it's, I don't understand the espresso machine. I actually looked up espresso to see if the, like there was some sort of big crowd. Another plane. 
another um uh another espresso another if there was some sort of espresso craze that began like in the end of the 50s start of the 60s and i don't really see anything i see espresso machines from the 60s and one of them i saw looks very much like the one in in this episode but yeah um so overall it's a really fun episode um like i said it goes all over the place it moves very quickly it never slows down there are a bunch of laughs it, it really does come at you sort of in media res because it is implied that, that Chachi has been there for a while and everyone sort of knows about it, but they don't really know that he does the nudes and stuff like that. And then Joni goes and then she comes right back. It's a, it's a fun, I think it's a fun episode. And, and I, will ra- I will wrap it up here and just say one thing I noticed that I found very interesting is at Joni, this happens twice near the end. Joni is sitting on the couch in the living room reading the Fonz and Richie walk in, talking kind of loud in the kitchen area. Now, you know the way it's laid out. It's all sort of one big space, and there's that sort of dividing space in the kitchen, which you seem to be able to walk around, um, but you're not supposed to because there's supposed to be a wall there. We've talked about this so much in previous seasons. But the thing about it is, to me, like like Fonzie and Richie walk in, they're talking loud. And there's Joni, be quiet. Don't you, what you, shh, shh, be quiet. Okay, there's Joni. And they're like, look at her. Oh, my gosh. Da, da, da. And they're talking like this. And the whole time you're thinking... Can't Joni hear them? I think just right there, they're, st- they're in the nook. Like, just like 10, 15, 20 feet away from her. I mean, can't they? She can't hear. And and so you think maybe she's in another space or something. But then what ends up happening is the Fonz leave. Richie goes and talks to her. Richie goes and talks to her. And then Mr. and Mrs. C come in and do the exact same thing, but much louder. And Richie and Joni never hear it. In fact, they don't notice that their parents are there until uh, Mr. C gets to do some great slapstick where they're running around trying to get out the door and then they realize they didn't grab the bags and he throws open the door, grabs the bags, and he's starting to head out the door. And as he's starting to head out the door, uh, on the right side of the screen to go to, out to the driveway, um, Joni and Richie are, are coming in through the swing in ki- the kitchen door. And so Mr. C just does a spin around um, thing with the bags in his head. He goes, oh, hey, everyone, we're home. Oh, I'm out of breath. I ran from the garage, which is a nice moment. But you also think like when they're, when they're in there, I guess I guess I never thought of this before because I always thought like if you were in the kitchen and someone and you were talking to someone sitting on the the couch, it would be sort of like, "Hey, Joni, what do you what do you you want a glass of milk? Yeah, I'll have a glass of milk." That wasn't a Joni voice, you know what I mean? I but I thought I thought it would be like that, you know? Maybe like maybe you don't like in a quiet house like that, you don't even need to raise your voice. You could be standing there by the so "Hey, Joni." I mean, wouldn't that be the point? Like the implication is that like. If you're standing at that open, if you're standing at the nook and the nook area is open up, people at the living room couch can't hear you. And for some reason, I find that terribly amusing. I don't know why, because it's like they, they've never done that before. That they've, they've never they've never had that happen before. It's almost like Beverly didn't know the layout of the house. It's almost like Beverly is thinking of the original layout of the house where they had the kitchen and then the dining room was in between the kitchen and the living room and it was an actual separate space and like maybe like they walked in the kitchen realized that like Joni was and kind of like maybe walked up peered in the living room went back in the kitchen and they were talking there because there was a room in between them but this there's nothing in between them the the, the nook is open why can't she see them why can't she hear them what when Mr. Mrs. C come in why can't they see them why can't they hear them I don't know I love it though it's the, it's weird sitcom spatial relations so so yeah so that that was this episode everyone burlesque not a great episode not a bad episode it all depends on how much you love 
bad jokes and um, occasionally seeing some beautiful women dance around. Um, like I said, it, it gets a C plus for me. This episode, I, I would put more, I'd like to say a B, possibly a B plus. For the humor, it's a B plus. For the storytelling, it's it's a B, maybe a little less. So B, B plus for this one. I think this is a darn good episode of the show. And uh, let's see what's next up, and then we will get out of here. Next up, we are um, still in November. King Richard's Big Night, giving Richie another one. And Fonzie versus the She-Devils on wheels, no doubt. So be good to yourselves, everyone, and listen to a little bit of this. (laughs) 